Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. Welcome to episode 10 of Creature Comforts. I am, of course, Mr. Venom, welcoming you to the festivities. Let me introduce my cohorts. They are, of course, from the Horror Countdown podcast, Mr. Don and Nelly. How the hell are you doing, Don? Uh, trying to find my way through a jungle of monsters and uh, not finding much. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, great to be here. Awesome. And also joining us, as usual, from the Cinema Attack podcast, Mr. Derek B. How the hell are you doing, Derek? Oh, surviving, man. When I say Hellboy, we're going Hellboy. I don't give a fuck when you guys trolled me fuck hard on this one. Hey, hey, don't say you guys. I love that movie. I don't think anybody trolled you so much as we were just questioning the validity. Uh, the point of this conversation, folks, just to clue you in, we were originally <laughs> going to do one of the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movies, either Hellboy 1 or Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. And we kind of just took a little bit of a swerve and decided to do a film that none of us have ever seen. Figured, let's take a chance. It's something that's critically acclaimed. It comes to us from the director of, you know, the legend, the first legendary Godzilla film from 2014. So we figured, you know, this, we had all heard stories about this movie being the movie that got Gareth Edwards the job to, to do Godzilla. So we figured let's give it a shot. And that film, of course, is 2010's Monsters. As anyone who listened to the show last week, that was kind of what we were looking at since it was going to be something that none of us have ever seen before. That was going to be new for us as well, since at least one or two of us have always seen the movies that we decide to look at. But yeah, new new watch for all of us and, you know, definitely taking a little bit of a chance uh, on something that we haven't watched that we're kind of you know, looking at cold, but uh, let's see. Let's see if it turned out to be a benefit or a hindrance. Monsters, as I mentioned, is from 2010. It is uh, exactly one hour and 34 minutes. What's kind of telling is that it's actually considered an action, uh, excuse me, an adventure drama on IMDb. So no mention of horror or creatures necessarily. So there you go. And our synopsis is as follows. Six years after Earth has suffered an alien invasion, a cynical journalist agrees to escort a shaken American tourist through an infected zone in Mexico to the safety of the U.S. border. As I mentioned earlier, this movie was written and directed by Gareth Edwards. This movie was very much a guerrilla production, both in production and post-production. Um, you know, We'll talk about a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff after we discuss the film, but... Um, as I mentioned, this is a first-time watch for all of us, so let's go ahead and bring in Derek. Derek, what did you think of Monsters? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> you know, I'm going to actually review this two different ways. Because as going in as a cinephile fan, I think this is a pretty good little indie movie. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I've seen movies like this. It's very... I actually made a comment about it off air where it's like, if you take uh, Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation and you add a little bit of that st- dystopian aspects of Children of Men, <laughs> this is the what you would get, kind of, in the medical, middle. Uh, Scoot McNary, I always liked him as an indie actor. I remember him most distinctly from, uh, uh, what was that movie with Brad Pitt? Killing Them Softly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he... He was pretty good in that, too. The main lead chick uh, was pretty good for the role, too. You know, uh, 
from my aspects of it. I thought, you know, the two, the dynamic between the two kept, you know, the story part of it interesting and that aspect of it. I thought this was a pretty cool little indie movie, you know, and, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for, you know, dystopian future movies. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going into this thinking that it's going to be like a creature feature, I was sadly disappointed because there's barely any monsters in this fucking movie. Uh, well, we do get to see them kind of cool looking, you know, all five seconds of it. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of a disappointment in that area. So I think if you're more of a cinephile fan, check this movie out. But if you're more in the realm of creature features slash monster movies, yeah, maybe if it's free. <laughs> You know, if you're interested in seeing some cool indie visuals, that actually Gareth Edwards did the visuals of the monsters themselves in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing. And he can, I, I def can see why he directed 2014's Godzilla, because 2014 Godzilla is kind of like this movie, but longer. Yeah, it's true. With, with less interesting characters. <laughs> Which I think this movie does benefit from, because like, I didn't really care for Aaron Taylor Johnson throughout Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And we had to follow him through the whole fucking movie. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a one plus side to the movie in that aspect. And, you know, not, not to hate it, because I actually like a lot of, I love 2014 Godzilla for different aspects and sure. variants. But I also love Gareth Edwards did probably... What I would say is probably the best of those newer Star Wars movies with Rogue One. And yeah. It's cool to see him build as a filmmaker if you watch all three of his movies. And he has a new one coming out, too, which is kind of like a sci-fi film from what I hear about with mm-hmm. uh, that guy from that Tenet movie. But, uh, yeah, if you're a cinephile fan, I say check it out. If you're a creature feature fan, watch at your own risk and know that it's not the type of monster movie that in this you know all right uh i think i'm gonna come in here next uh before don spits his hate all over this film which i fully expect i'm I'm actually looking forward to it but uh i'm gonna agree mostly with derek i mean this movie from a filmmaking standpoint is beautiful i mean when you when you find out that the it has an under half a million dollar budget was shot in at least four different countries and most of the shooting for this film was done without a permit uh we'll get into that story a little bit later on but this is a movie that i actually liked more and more after i found out more about the production of the film Mm -hmm. from just watching the film yes it looks nice it's very well shot obviously it's not hard to have nice cinematography when you're shooting in places like guatemala and um you know other parts of mexico and belize places like that to the point where they're using like actual destroyed cities from at, from like real life hurricanes. Um, again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So this is this is definitely a film that I can respect. But then after finding out 
uh, everything that Gareth Edwards went through to get this film made. I mean, he literally self-taught himself CGI. He did go to school for filmmaking and he took a minor in computer graphics. But as far as the majority of what he did on this film with the computer, it's on him. He did it. So, I mean, when I hear about stories like that, you know, this is a passion project. He's been working on this for like, what? six, seven years since before he got out of film school, the guerrilla aspect of how they filmed this actually traveling as tourists to all these different countries with as little equipment as possible so that they can shoot basically in any area that looked like it fit in the film, construction sites, um, you know, major accidents, things like that. They, they would just go ahead and film footage as tourists under the guise of being tourists. And I thought that was pretty cool. The more I read about it, the more I liked the film. Now, as far as what we're actually getting on on screen, you know, I, I'm 100% with Derek. Uh, there's just not enough monster here to even justify calling this a creature feature. Yes, it is called monsters. Yes, there are monsters in the movie, but as Derek had mentioned, they're few and far between. We only get to see them at night. There are no daytime shots. And obviously with the limitation of the budget and the fact that, you know, Gareth Edwards was just out of film school, still kind of learning how to make films it kind of lends to the quality of the film that he took so long and that he took all this meticulous time to do everything that he possibly could, even to the point where they were paying extras. Like when they were in Belize and Guatemala, whenever they would need some extras that they hadn't planned for, they would literally just go to the locals and offer them like 20 bucks. I, 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 that's awesome. That's guerrilla filmmaking right there, folks. You, You make do with what you have. And, you know, I appreciate that. So from the filmmaking, I love it. From the storytelling, eh, it's not much of a story because we don't really get the alien invasion. As we said in the synopsis, it's six years after the invasion. So, you know, we're not getting like, you know, quiet place style action, you know, with uh, this big alien invasion. No, it's it's post invasion. It's a world that's actually I, I it's weird to say, but actually used to it, used to the existence of these monsters to the point where they actually prepare every year for the annual migration of these monsters. Yes, they actually migrate. We don't find out why they migrate till the end of the film, but we'll get to that. You know, southern the southern U.S. and northern Mexico being um, part of the in, infected zone, if you will, and being the migration area for these monsters. I, I think it's still a compelling story. It, it more works as a drama slash romance, if you will. Like if you're a fan, I kind of look at this as the love note. Uh, excuse me, the notebook with tentacles. That's kind of how I'm looking at this movie because it is a, it is a fairly compelling love story. As much as I don't like the fact that these characters are even engaging in anything romantic, uh, you know, um, remotely romantic, and you know, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, overall, again, I love the movie visually. It's a nice little ride. They're they're somewhat compelling characters. They're not nearly as hateable as the folks in Cloverfield by any stretch. I still had my issues with both of them. You know, one being an engaged woman, the other one trying to get into the pants of an engaged woman for the whole film. It kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. But at the same time, you know, it's still somewhat of a nice little story. And that's all you can really say. It's a nice little story. This is a nice little movie. Um, There is a sequel, which I don't know if I have a lot of interest in watching since Gareth Edwards did not direct that one. 
So who knows? Maybe I'll run across it someday. But I'm going to say that this is a competently made movie. It definitely shows. And to Derek's point, it definitely makes sense that Gareth Edwards went on to do Godzilla after this, because that 2014 Godzilla is very much a human story as well. The human element is a, a much bigger aspect of you know what's going on in the film, as opposed to Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is just kaiju action, you know. So, yeah, a a good film. But if you're looking for a creature feature, if you're looking for compelling monsters, we do have great creature design. I I, I kind of forgot to mention that I do absolutely love the creature design. I'm a fan of tentacles. I love Cthulhu. So anything (laughs) that even remotely reminds me of Cthulhu, I'll take it. Yeah, 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 for sure. sure. And, you know, another thing that kind of reminded me of 2014 Godzilla is the use of illumination of the monsters, which, you know, that was in his movie, too, with the Mutos. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. The, the, the use of the bioluminescence. I mean, these monsters, you know, once we actually get into it here, you know, they're obviously, you know, giant uh, encephalopods, you know, squids, octopi, whatever you want to go with. So um, they're just they're They're kind of weird looking octopi where they actually like walk upright on a, a kind of a back set of tentacles. Yeah, they kind of remind me of like the, that giant monster from the mist kind of. To an extent, absolutely. I'll go with that, definitely. There's there's some good in this movie, but unfortunately, there's a lot of disappointment to be had if you are a creature feature coming into this. So uh, before I ramble on anymore, let's get Don in here. Don, what were your initial thoughts of Monsters? Uh, can I just go ahead and third everything you guys said? Because I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I, I don't really know if I have much interest in... Uh, going further because i think it's pretty much exactly what you guys said it feels very much like godzilla 2 2014 uh i'm not a huge fan of that one either uh for exactly the same reasons we've uh stated here it's a human interest story over a kaiju film and i'm i don't really care about the humans i want them to introduce the monster and then get out of his way as they try to figure out a way to stop him mm-hmm. that's uh how you do a monster movie that's why the later two sequels are or what they are, and nobody really talks about what the original anymore because it's not that good. And that's uh, what we get here. Uh, I don't really find the characters, you know, as bad as what you guys are saying. Uh, it, it works for a while, but then it just uh, you kind of just start saying, "All right, come on, show these things." What are every, what is everybody so terrified of? Mm-hmm. You know, what's this world that we're being dropped into? You know, every it, I'll give it credit; it has a fine immersion point where it it genuinely feels like this is something that's been going on for a while like the, you know they say that this is six years after the invasion it definitely feels it yeah they, they're used to it now yep. exactly yeah i mean you know everybody you know it's not you know to a point where we've eradicated them you know and they haven't taken over but it, you know you still see that this is something that everybody's dealt with at some point. I mean, it, it kind of feels like a very genuine lived in world. And I, I, I really got, you know, I, I really got a lot of out of the film from that reason. Uh, the two action scenes we get are really good. Um, I, I did like the jungle sequence. Um, can't see shit because of the lighting and the fact that the monster is not on screen mm-hmm. that much, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the, the sense of scale that we get is actually not that bad. And uh, you know, it, because something's actually happening, I think that kind of, uh, you know, enhanced my interest in that one a little bit. But um, I, I, I did like the finale. I did like the, you know, how everything wraps up. Um, mm-hmm. 
I would actually not mind a sequel just because he's not touching it. So maybe somebody that actually has an action sens- sensibility would, you know, make this kind of a universe interesting because I, I do like where everything is set up in this. I like, you know, these, these alien beings that have arrived on Earth. I like the way everything is set up around them. I just would want more. I, I, I think a military. I think like military confrontations and getting a sense of how you know the communities adapted. You know all of these. You know treacher. You know the routes that they've taken. All of the the various little sign points that you know you you have to take to get out of their way. I'd like to see how that came about. Mm-hmm. I like see how you know. Basically, I, I'm almost kind of afraid of saying this, but I, I'd almost kind of want a prequel as much as well, just to see like the intervening years of like how everybody's adapted to how, how everybody's gotten to this point now. Where let's see, you know, how we've discovered how we've discovered things, how we gotten to where we know to leave them alone for their, you know, I think it's mating season or. Um, is it whatever they're getting ready to do now. I mean, I, I can't really, mm-hmm. you know, I'd like to see how, you know, they, they, you know, they establish these patterns, how, you know, we've gotten to the point where we know how to attack them, how to fight them off, all of that kind of stuff. I, I'd like to see how that's gone about, but yeah, um, I, I, I think the idea of making a drama about this is not necessarily the way to go for a creature fan. I definitely see this more as being more uh, a general interest movie just because it's not its drawbacks are detrimental to it being a genre film. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing with it. That's the biggest thing about it is that it's not necessarily anything wrong with the film. It's just its drawbacks are though geared more towards a person's individual preference. So I can very easily see this as being very cut and dry in terms of whether or not you're going to like it or not. If all you want to see is just giant monsters smashing into things, eating people, or, you know, actually doing something, steer clear of this. You know, turn the episode off, skip to the end, we'll see you next week, folks. And, you you know, that's all there is to it. You know, if that's the main interest point for you being a monster movie fan, is just to see either of those things happening, skip this episode, we'll see you next month. (laughs) <laughs> if you actually, you know, if you're not interested in that and you actually care about what's going on in the interim, okay, great. You know, stick around. We'll, you know, be happy to, I mean, I don't know how much I can actually say about it other than what you guys have already said, but, and I mean, you don't have to skip the episode in your playlist. So, I mean, kudos, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss because you guys have already said everything. Yeah. No, understandable. And I will say, Don, you will probably be very happy to know that the sequel uh, for this movie, which is called um, Monsters Dark Continent, is probably right along the lines of what you're looking for. I actually watched the trailer right now while you were talking. And yeah, there's like big battle sequences. There's like scenes like going across a desert with like a dozen of those giant aliens walking by. It definitely looks a lot more Cloverfield than uh, the first movie does. But and, it, and it's not found footage, thankfully. But yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it's not rated as high. But that might make sense because I, I know critics and a lot of cinephiles tend to prefer these kind of more emotionally driven, dramatic 
type films where it's the less is more mentality yeah. as, as opposed to like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is just nonstop monster action. So right, it's, yeah. it's definitely more a matter of what you, you know, prefer yourself. As or if you want just plain stupid, like Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> but I love that movie. It's, uh, it's, yeah, uh, you know, there's a place for all. Yeah, no, it's valid. back to America. I'm just asking you to help me out here. Very difficult journey, very risky, very dangerous. Do you have the money? Do you take the risk? Look at this! What'd you find, Cortez? movie a little bit as we said uh our movie is monsters it is it takes place six years after an invasion of earth by an alien species i say invasion it's not like they it doesn't seem like they're sentient in the sense that they came down here specifically with the objective of destroying the earth and humanity it seems like they just kind of landed here because of the experiments that were um uh, happening on europa one of the moons of i I forget it's either saturn or jupiter Um, saturn Saturn, thank you. One of the oh, wait. Sat- wait, wait, wait. Does this mean that this is a pre? You mean a Roper report? It's a fucking prequel to this? Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> so yeah, so we, you know, we get basically alien spores that come to Earth, and we see that they basically mutate into these giant creatures. You know, we're not really given much of a timeline. How long the invasion took? How long? All we're told is six years after the invasion. And we're basically introduced to Andrew Calder, who is a reporter. He receives a phone call early on in the film, letting him uh, from his boss, from his uh, publisher boss, letting him know that the publisher boss's daughter is trapped uh, in Mexico somewhere. And that since he is on location in that same area or on assignment, I should say, um, to have him kind of escort her back up to the U.S. border. They eventually meet and, you know, we we, we get the traditional kind of romance tropes where they kind of hate each other at first for being idealistically different. The girl, even though she's kind of a vapid rich girl, she still has, you know, kind of humanitarian thoughts in her head like you know how, how can he as a photographer i i might, might have forgotten to mention he was a photographer how he as a photographer can take all these pictures of like traumatic experiences and death and destruction and make a career on it 
He actually make it, he actually has a great line in this movie. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this line, but at one point, Sam, the female, actually says to Andrew, the photographer, how do you feel knowing that the only way you can, you know, have a job or get paid is if tragedy occurs or, you know, if death occurs or something like that? And he looks right at her and says, oh, you mean like a doctor? Oh, God, I fucking that was the best fucking yeah. shut the hell bitch line possible it's like yeah there you go and then you know she still she made a comment that that's not really the same thing but of course you know she kind of was dejected and changed the topic so i love that line though because ultimately yeah we can get mad at photographers for taking pictures of death and destruction for our curiosity Mm -hmm. but ultimately if they don't do it somebody else will do it it's just a job folks you know it's a it's a terrible job you know no more no worse than being an emt or a a mortician or something you you have to see terrible things and sometimes you have to document it so that's life basically what happens is there is uh i I mentioned the annual migration there's an annual migration where the aliens will migrate from one end of the infected zone to the other at this point we don't really know why in the film but basically uh the migration is scheduled to start in exactly 48 hours two days so sam and andrew have to get out of Mexico within two days. And obviously they're trying to do it legally at first with passports and paying for passage. But obviously things go wrong. There's a a little bit of a situation where Andrew fucks up and, you know, gets his dick wet. Yeah, he gets his dick wet, but then he gets robbed in the process. They lose their passports and their money. Unfortunately, they can't get onto the ferry that goes to the U.S. border without a passport. And since their passports have been stolen, they now have to take the chance of going through the infected zone. Yes, apparently the government in Mexico will give you the option if you want to just nonchalantly just go ahead and go through the uh, infected zone. District 9. Yeah, yeah, they probably don't give a fuck. (laughs) If you die, whatever, it's one less person they got to worry about. But yeah, so basically, you know, we we get a scene at the kind of like at the um, at the ferry desk um, where Andrew and Sam are, you know, pleading with this eight ticket agent guy who's at his desk, you know, trying to tell him we were robbed, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Andrew's trying to convince them that he'll pay him when he gets back to America. Of course, this ticket agent isn't a moron. He laughs at him instantly. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're going to send me the money when you get back home. Yeah, I look like an idiot. So basically, they give them the option of um, the final option of just taking um, like a caravan, a caravan of armed men through the infected zone to get up there. Which ends up still costing them a shitload of money. Ten thousand dollars, I believe. But Sam, uh, Sam, like I said, is the daughter of a wealthy publisher. She is engaged to someone. I mean, they don't really mention her fiance much. They only mention him once or twice. And she has this beautiful twenty thousand dollar diamond ring. She ends up bartering with the travel uh, with the ticket agent, and he goes ahead and lets them go. So our adventure kind of begins from here. Um, I did forget to mention that we actually do get a tiny little piece of monster action at the very beginning of the movie, uh, the cold open of the film. Uh, we do get some black and white infrared, like nighttime footage. It's not the greatest looking footage. It's meant to look like, you know, something that somebody got off their body cam or something. One of the military guys. One thing I like the scene because, you know, it's a great setup. It You know, the monster looks cool. And, the, you know, what little of him that we see the problem is, is that we go almost a full hour before we see the next monster. It would literally... Well, 
It's not quite an hour. I'm exaggerating, but it oh. feels like a very long time in between monster sightings in this film, which is kind of detrimental if you want to be a creature feature. Mind you, I'm not trying to put words into Gareth Edwards' uh, mouth. You know, maybe he never intended this movie to be a creature feature and we're pigeonholing him. And, you know, I totally understand that. So, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like Gareth Edwards, you know, failed with this film. No, this film is still a triumph. It's just... Like I said, the fact that he got a big budget Godzilla movie after this, I mean, the movie obviously did what it was intended to do, whether you like it or not. So there you go. All right. So uh, as Andrew and Sam are going through the uh, infected zone, obviously, we're going to get various set pieces, not as many as we would like, of course. But um, I think some of the really cool scenes in this film come in the second act, and they're not necessarily monster based. Um, there was one scene, uh, the scene with the fighter jet. There's a scene where Sam and Andrew are going through the jungle, you know, with a on a boat uh, with an escort. And they see something start to poke out of the water. And and it's nighttime, though. The sun has gone down and um, everybody's freaking out. The music gets all intense. I, I, it's a really cool scene. But then out of nowhere the piece that's sticking out of the water comes completely up to the surface and it turns out to be an F-16 fighter jet. Just, you know, that was downed probably by one of the monsters. So everybody, of course, gives a sigh of relief, but then suddenly they hear a gurgling sound and the camera pans over to the jet and then we see fucking tentacles come out of the water and pull the entire fighter jet back down underwater Luckily, you know, they get the boat started and are out of there right away before any more interactions with that particular creature. But I thought that was a cool little tense scene. Um, I mean, you don't see much. Like I said, you only see a couple of tentacles stick out of the water. But, you know, for a They're setup. Jaws. Scene... <laughs> I thought it was a giant spider at first. Anybody else think it would look like spider legs? <laughs> like, Ew. yeah. Yeah. All you could see really is like the, the, the airplane tail like, looked like a fin in the water. Exactly. It looks like a, like some kind of megalodon, you know, fin sticking out of the water. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty interesting scene. Then later in the second act, there's a scene, there's just a campfire scene where um, the gorillas that are escorting Sam and Andrew through the woods, through the infected zone, just start having a conversation about, it, it actually ends up turning into a socioeconomical conversation because the gorillas, they start talking to the Americans, you know, Sam and Andrew, and start asking, hey, do you know why mo there's no monsters in America? Because America has the money to keep them out. America is spending all of their money on defenses, on a wall. By the way, this must be Donald Trump's favorite movie because America builds a giant wall on the Mexican border because of aliens. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's fucking like I'm, like, I'm watching it. I'm like, this predicted fucking my yeah. whole life. Oh, man, this movie is prophetic. It's just that uh, Donald Trump was thinking about the wrong kind of aliens, apparently. But imagine imagine if we had an alien invasion while the Orange Nightmare was president. Oh, man. That might be like Mars attacks, I hope. Oh, I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> you know, we continue through the infected zone. You know, we get a couple of more set pieces. We finally get like a big set piece where the, the caravan gets attacked by a monster. And honestly... As you're watching the movie, if you're an eagle-eye viewer, you start to really realize that the monsters don't really attack until they are attacked, until someone yeah. shoots at them, because they are gigantic. You know, I forgot to mention, they're, they're the fucking size of a building. Um, uh, actually, they're almost the same size as, as Godzilla. Don't they say 100 meters in the movie? Yeah. 
And one of the Godzillas was 100 meters, I remember. I, I don't know if it was 68, but I, I do remember one of the Godzillas. Was, so I'm like, I was all excited. I'm like, ooh, it's, it's like a real kaiju invasion. But um, So the caravan is continuing through the infected zone. They end up getting attacked. We get a cool scene where the monster, you know, that particular alien there pretty much takes out all the gorillas takes out most of the vehicles and uh, you, uh, this is the scene where you kind of notice that the aliens notice lights because there's three or four cars in this caravan. A couple of them, their lights were left on while the gorillas got out of the car to go deal with the monster. But one car didn't have any external lights on. It, it was the car that Sam and Andrew were in. There was one internal light on, and you actually see Sam cover it with his uh, – not Sam. You see Andrew cover this, uh, the dome light with his hand. But then you see the alien walk right by their car and attack the car behind them that still has their headlights on. So you do kind of start to realize that these guys' vision might be you know, based on uh, light and movement, obviously. Because a lot of times, and later on in the movie, there's a scene where there's two giant monsters and there's two humans literally right at their feet staring up at them, but they never attack. The monsters never attack the people. So obviously their sight is probably kind of like the T-Rex, kind of based on sight and lights. Must go faster. Yes, must go faster. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, you know, Sam is engaged to somebody that her father, I'm sure, approves of, some rich douchebag. Her and Andrew do start to develop a kind of feelings throughout the film, which really irks the shit out of me because it just really bothers me that this woman is engaged. And literally from the moment that she tells Andrew that she's engaged, he's trying to get in her pants. I don't know if it's like a conquest thing. He's trying to get an engaged woman, but literally he's trying to get into her pants every way possible. Which at first kind of made me dislike Andrew. I really didn't dislike Andrew. I kind of disliked Sam just because she's your standard vapid, you know, rich, beautiful, rich girl who doesn't really add anything, you know, other than good looks to the situation. So, you know, she's she's kind of a standard trope. So I can. She always that. has to pee. You're like fuck. She always has to pee. <laughs> I guess we can just kind of go to the uh, finale from here. Um, basically, from here, we get well, we get a gas station scene where Sam and Andrew are finally able to get. Well, actually, uh, there there was one scene I wanted to talk about. When Sam and Andrew, uh, Andrew do finally get to the U.S. border, we see the walls that Trump, you know, masturbates about in his dreams. Um, just giant walls that are, you know, separating the U.S. and Mexican border. Once they go over the border, they actually get into an American town that's been destroyed. Complete. There's no people around, um, you know, no cars. All the houses have been destroyed. At first, they think that it was an alien attack, but Andrew realizes that this looks like a strike, like an airstrike from above, you know, because of the bombs and missile casings and things like that that he's seeing. And if for anybody who doesn't know, that is a real town. That is the fucking town of Galveston, Texas, after they had a hurricane in 2009. I don't know if you guys remember that famous hurricane. Oh, yeah, yeah. They literally went into Galveston, Texas with their film crew and just took footage. And when you see this footage, this footage is gorgeous. 
I mean, this looks like a full production film that that had been planned out for months, but it's like, no. Earlier, when I mentioned that this is a guerrilla production, it really is. I mean, all of the equipment that they use for this movie fit into one van, including the crew. So the, the crew, the, the small cast that they had, the crew and all their equipment literally fit into one cargo van. And they were just driving from place to place. Filming, as I mentioned earlier, basically filming anywhere they could. And they ended up getting footage in Guatemala, Mexico, southern U.S., um, Belize, places like that. So pretty interesting uh, filmmaking technique. So anyway, after they finally get back into the U.S., they get they finally get into a gas station. They see a service station, gas station, whatever you want to go with. And all the lights are still on. The TV is on. It literally looks like it was only recently abandoned. Uh, they go over there in the hopes that they can hide or potentially find a working phone. They do end up finding a working phone. Uh, Sam is able to call like the National Guard to let them know where they are, which, you know, if you're watching a straight up horror movie instantly, you know, the red light would go off. But knowing that this isn't really a horror movie, it, it didn't really strike me as too odd when the military guys were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll be right there. You know, we've got a We've got a garrison right near you or whatever. But yeah, as it turns out, while they're waiting for the military, one of the aliens ends up showing up and we get this really probably one of the best scenes in the film, a really great tense scene where Andrew is outside in the uh, just outside the uh, at the pumps waiting for the military to show up. Sam is still inside the convenience store part of the gas station, just, you know, getting drinks or whatever. And she sees a set of tentacles, like literally go in the front door, just, just a set of tentacles, just come right into the front door. And they, they start, I don't know if they're sniffing. I mean, cause they were making a weird noise as they were flipping through there, but yeah, they're, they're just going through there almost like a crickets rubbing their legs together combined with like a sniffing type sound effect. It was kind of odd. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, luckily, the tentacles can't see because uh, uh, Sam is there hiding, but she does on a, on a couple of occasions pop her head up to see where the tentacles are. But the tentacles don't really react to her getting up. So eventually, though, they find the television, the turned on television, and we see the tentacles touch the screen of the television. And then we see what looks like almost energy. Like, I don't know if it's energy or information or something. The alien is taking something from the television through its tentacles. You see the bioluminescence start at the tip of the tentacles where it's touching the screen. And then it kind of just goes up the tentacle towards the body. So I don't know if it was sucking power. Like, I, I wasn't sure if it was sucking, like, like I said, um, electricity or information. If it was some kind of like, I mean, because this is a cosmic monster, don't forget, you know, the rules are out the window. For all I know, it could have literally been taking information from the television, you know, the, the info that was being broadcast and just kind of sucking it in. Or the easy answer, it was just taking the power from the television. So anyway, what ends up happening is the tentacles. Um, no, I'm sorry. Sam ends up turning the TV off. She notices what the tentacles are doing and that they're kind of draining something out of the television. So she turns the TV off and the tentacles instantly let go of the TV and they just leave the store like they have no more interest for anything in the store. And then Sam goes outside to join Andrew. And that's when we see the second alien, uh, another giant hundred meter alien coming from the opposite direction. And they're coming towards each other. So obviously, you know, as an audience member, I'm getting excited. I'm thinking, oh, shit, kaiju fight. Come on, give me something. Come, kaiju give me something. kiss. 
Yeah, anything. And that's what we get, folks. Kaiju kiss, if you will, not literally, figuratively. Basically, the two aliens kind of embrace each other. They kind of intertwine their tentacles. And you kind of see the bioluminescence going back and forth between the two aliens through their tentacles. They're not really making much noise or anything. They're just kind of, you could see that they're exchanging something through their tentacles. And then they just separate and go their separate ways. And at this moment... That's when Sam and Andrew kind of look up and realize, shit, these aliens aren't necessarily hostile. They're just trying to breed. They're just trying to keep their species going because it doesn't seem like their breeding is out of control. Like I said, this is now the sixth year of the invasion. This migration happens every year. You know, so maybe these aliens only have one child or something. Or or I was thinking, too, maybe these aliens literally only have a one-year lifespan, kind of like a salmon. You know how a salmon is born in a river, but then it swims out to the ocean? But then when it's time for it to mate, it goes back upstream up to where it was born. It then, you know, fertilizes eggs and then dies. I don't know. I was thinking maybe something like that, where maybe those literally those two aliens just went off into the distance and died. You know, or maybe one of them laid eggs or something and then died. And then the egg is going to hatch next year at the start of the migration, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I tried to find some similarities with nature here and there. And yeah, the salmon seemed to be the closest thing I could think of. So all all I was thinking is I was was sexual healing by Marvin Gaye playing with. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I was I I was thinking some Al Green, some Let's Stay Together. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> watching these two go at it. And it was it was actually really a sweet scene because there was there was no aggression to it. And, and you know how some species like lions get really aggressive when they're having sex. This this actually felt somewhat touching and you know emotional because they're facing each other, they're holding tentacles. I thought it was Did you notice that they also made with their faces like the mutos? Yes. Yep, I did. I did notice that. That that might be actual encephalopod behavior. I'm not sure. I'm not really um, averse on sea life at all. So maybe, you know, if I would have looked it up, maybe I could have. Let's ask Davy Jones. Oh, no, I'm trying to stay away from his locker. Absolutely. At least for a few more years, you know. And that's it, folks. Our movie pretty much ends there. Uh, Right after the aliens kind of have their little fuck session, they go their separate ways. The military finally shows up. And then right when the military shows up, Sam basically says out loud, I don't want to go home, Um, which kind of alludes to what Sam and Andrew had been talking about throughout the film with, you know, Sam being engaged, but it doesn't really seem like she's ultra in love with her fiance and blah, blah, blah. And then they finally exchange a kiss at the end of the film, which I'm thinking, uh, isn't it funny? That's entitlement. When, when you see two people kiss and the only thing I could think of is there's no way any of them brushed their teeth over the last like week or so. Oh, yeah. And they're Jerry, nasty Jerry, asses. What, what do you think about that in The Walking Dead, too? Oh, dude, I th- any kind of post-apocalyptic movie, I'm like, oh, I, don't, I think I'd be celibate just because I, I'm terrified of what people smell like nah. a month into an apocalypse or whatever. No, <laughs> gonna... If my wife goes a day without taking a shower, I don't want to go near her. <laughs> now, Venom, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Do it. Because I, I watched this movie twice. Ooh. The beginning of the movie is actually the real ending. Oh, you think? No, oh, because they're in the scenes. Oh, you are correct. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch this a second time, but yeah, that's that's valid. Because uh, uh, 
it's the same convoy and he's singing the same song when it's driving up to them and then when you see the footage and when after they get attacked you see a woman laying on the floor dead and he's like help and you see oh. the guy with the fucked up hair yeah i completely missed that then nice catch nice catch and it's actually a trivia fact that that was a choice made by uh gareth edwards to do that nice Ah, hey, I, I mean, I'm sure when I watch this a second time, if I watch this a second time, I'll probably see that as well. But yeah, nice, uh, nice due diligence going ahead and watching the movie a second time. So but it's yeah, actually it's, very it's, tragic when you watch it the second time. Right, right. When you realize that what that opening scene is. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. It changes kind of the context of the whole movie. Eh. Oh, well, fuck them. They didn't deserve to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no one deserves to be happy in this. Uh, one girl who's engaged cheating on her fiance, another guy who's knowingly hitting on an engaged woman. Yeah, I don't feel bad for either one of you. The, the only the only scene I felt bad for was when the little dead girl. Oh, that fucking hit hard. Yeah, that that was rough. Absolutely. Like I said, folks, there's a lot more set pieces in here. You know, I didn't go over every single scene, but you know, we tried to go over the gist of the story so like you kind of understood. Um, you know, if if you're still with us and you haven't watched the movie, then I assume that you're probably not that interested in it, but it, it's still worth seeing. I know that the three it's of a, us have all had kind of negative thoughts about it, but only as a creature feature, as as a straight up like dramatic whatever, it's still a well made movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. and for sure. And you know, even like when they had that Aztec scene, I'm like, is this a prequel to the ruins? <laughs> yes, right. When she found that temple, I'm like, uh-oh, stay away from there. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> and then a, a couple of extra little facts that I found out in my research on the film. Uh, this film has no script. This film was shot, when I say guerrilla style, very much so. Even though the movie looks like a big budget film, it very much was shot guerrilla style. Gareth Edwards basically gave his actors just some basic instruction like, okay, this is what just happened. So I want you guys to try to be, you know, as realistic and organic as possible and give me the conversation that you think would be generated by this situation. And ultimately, I think they did a pretty good job, you know, for a film with no script. Uh, the, the the dialogue isn't my biggest issue with the film by any stretch. So, yeah. you know, I'll give them some credit there. We talked about the the guerrilla production of this film and how very few permits were actually you know received for them to film legally. They basically, as I mentioned earlier, they loaded up their van. They went to all these different countries trying to find different areas where they could shoot, you know, locales that looked like they would fit into a post-apocalyptic alien invasion film. And basically, as I mentioned, they took the they took the footage as tourists. What they would do too sometimes is that they would actually go on tours and the cameraman and the the audio guy wouldn't be standing next to each other. Like they'd be like at the opposite ends of the tour group so that people couldn't figure out that they were actually filming a movie. So I I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, I already talked about uh, the town at the end of the film was actually Galveston, Texas, after their hurricane in 2009 or 10. I forget exactly which. This is a piece of information that really <laughs> is kind of a no brainer. Gareth Edwards does credit Jaws with kind of the less is more aspect of this film. Uh, this film isn't remotely what Jaws was. But then again, you know, I'm, I'm not going to compare Gareth Edwards to Steven Spielberg either. So. But still, I will say he always did it. Uh, I still do think he did a good job with this film. The fact that he did his own CGI, as we mentioned earlier, he went to film school. The story is after he graduated college, he bought the 
the most expensive high-end computer that he could afford to start working on the CG effects for this film, which, you know, wouldn't be shot for years later. But, you know, the, the idea was always in his head from film school. So no green screen is used whatsoever in this film. And that's saying a lot, folks, because... All the effects in this movie are CG, not just the effects of the monster either. Any of the any of the the city scenes where a tank drives by, that's not a tank. That's just a regular car. But they they digitally enhanced it to make it look like a tank so that it looks like a war torn area. I think I mean, when you there's actually um, videos on YouTube online right now where you can see the original shot footage and then what it looks like after the effects and it is uncanny this guy did a great fucking job it makes 100% sense that he got the Godzilla job after this the fact that he shot this with no green screen whatsoever and it looks this gorgeous I'll give it its credit I already mentioned how they paid locals $20 if they needed some extras, if they needed um, extras that they hadn't planned for. They would literally just grab a couple of locals, give them 20 bucks, and put them in the movie. And yes, they all got credits in the film. So if you look in the movie, either Marine, Gorilla, Townsfolk, like, you know, there'll be a lot of like random man at bar, man at bar, man at bar. <laughs> a lot of these were Fairy all vendor. locals you know that were just paid 20 bucks uh, to be in the movie so again genius thinking a nice way to get out of uh having to you know put up a lot of money to make your film and last but not least as i already mentioned this movie cost just under five hundred thousand dollars which you know ultimately half a million dollars sounds like a lot but the fact that he was able to get this movie out of a half a million dollars I still think that's a triumph. I, I think that's a it's a success. You know, even though the movie doesn't speak to me in a way that I wish it had, I still think he did amazing things with that half million dollars. And a lot of that money was Kickstarter. I, I think what like two hundred thousand of it was Kickstarter, and then yeah. the rest of it was put up by uh, the studio that that completed the film. So yeah. A lot of history behind this film. What we actually get on screen doesn't do this movie justice. I feel like when you find out everything that went into making the film, it actually kind of makes the end product a little bit more enjoyable, just a shred, not much, just a little, uh, you know, this coming from a guy who loved the witch after the first time he saw it. But then once he read all the behind the scenes stuff about the witch, it literally became my favorite movie of the decade. Cause like I said, behind the scenes stuff, what a director and a producer and a writer have to go through to get a film made, to get it released, all that stuff I, I pay attention to. And it, it always interests me. So, so yeah, so there it is, folks. Monsters 2010, directed by Gareth Edwards, who goes on to do Godzilla 2014 after this. Uh, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to add to this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, folks, I guess I guess the final judgment on this uh, experiment of doing a film that none of us have ever watched before has failed miserably. So, who knows? I, I don't think we'll do this thing. Yeah, so we're going to try it up again on next week's episode. <laughs> well, that one's okay because it's a brand new movie, so that's okay. So, hey, while Don brought it up, let's go ahead and talk about it. There's been a movie that's been discussed over the last few years that all three of us here at Creature Comforts have been really looking forward to. And that's Phil Tippett's Mad God. And finally, after what, like 20 or 30 years of this film being in production, 
It finally dropped on Shutter this past Friday, literally two days ago as we speak. And I just wanted to go ahead and take the chance to announce that is going to be our feature review for next month for July. We will be looking at Phil Tippett's Mad God. Um, we're all really excited about, you know, this is the first opportunity to look at a brand, brand new movie, a movie that we would usually review on Fresh Cuts, our new movie review podcast. But yeah, fuck because- Oh, yeah, fuck Merriman. That goes without saying. But for the mere fact that this is the first opportunity that we can, you know, that all three of us can see a brand new creature feature right at release. And it just happens to coincide with our next episode. So we're going to go ahead and take advantage there. So there's your warning, folks. Uh, Go ahead and check out Phil Tippett's Mad God. It is currently available on Shudder. If you don't have Shudder, I'm I'm sure it's available on VOD somewhere. Go ahead and look for it. But yeah. That's next month's episode, and I, I, I'm sure the other guys too, but I am incredibly excited. My nipples are hard just thinking about it. Ooh. I was too, but uh, the, the, the discussion led to me wanting to look up lesbian porn, so. <laughs> I thought you were going to say pee porn, because all the oh, did was pee in the movie. <laughs> well, I got to get off somehow, so I, I went with one of my old standbys. Uh, folks, well, with the first reference of lesbian porn for the evening, I think that's our cue. Once again, thank you all so much for joining us. Please join us next month for Phil Tippett's Mad God. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think. Please join the conversation. You can find us on Facebook at No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. You can find us on Twitter at N-N-H-I, whatever. The abbreviation for No More Room in Hell and Creature after that. So that's our Twitter handle. So look for us there. Um, Hey, you got any requests? Hit us up. Let us know. We love monster movies, and apparently we even love the bad ones. So, hell, we'll we'll just about review anything. I was going to say, let's do Deadly Spawn. (laughs) Yeah, we need something for a palette. There you go. But I'm looking forward to Mad God, so that should be fun. Yeah. So yeah. No, I was going to say, I mean, hopefully that'll give me more to actually talk about, because uh, unfortunately, yeah, um, I didn't get to say much since you guys went Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, two weeks in a row, Don doesn't say a whole hell of a lot. I mean, he said more during Cloverfield, but still was fairly quiet for the majority of it. And and that, that kind of goes, yeah. you know, it, it, that goes with podcasting. When, when we don't enjoy a film as much, we're not going to have as much to say about it. So there yeah. you go. So. Once again, on behalf of Don Anelli, Derek B., I am Mr. Venom, thanking you so much for joining us for our historic 10th episode of No More Room and Hell presents <laughs> Creature Comforts. Hey, a lot of podcasts don't even get to 10 episodes, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I, who am I kidding? <laughs> there you go. All right, folks, take care. We'll see you next month. Adios. Uh, later. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking bookstore...